I am Andrew Ron. I'm an accredited rural appraiser, and I am president of the Montana chapter of the ASFMRA and communications director for the Montana Farm and Ranch Brokers Association, the two top industry organizations in the state. I am also the proud creator of Montana LandSource, the industry standard for access to rural land listings and sales, and land market information and insights. There is no other more comprehensive resource for insider Montana land information than Montana LandSource. Go to www.mtlandsource.com. I am part of the Ranch Investor Podcast because I want to be part of the conversation with other top land experts on the future of the land market, land investment, land ownership, and management. I'm Coulter DeVries, owner of Ranch Investor Advisory and Brokerage Services. I'm an accredited land consultant with the Realtor Land Institute and proud member of ASFMRA. As a former commercial and ag banker, my main reason for doing this podcast is to simply gauge the market's appetite for crowdsourcing investment in a ranch real estate fund. This fund would allow you to hunt, fish, ride, camp, and recreate how you want while also enjoying the financial and portfolio benefits of investing in a large western ranch. For rural land enthusiasts who want to deepen their knowledge of the ranch real estate market, grow their portfolio, and be viewed as a trusted advisor, the Ranch Investor Podcast is the most downloaded and informative industry-specific content that intrigues while entertains. Curated by subject matter experts to give you immense benefit, because we believe your time is valuable. Spring of 2022 Andy season three episode one of the ranch investor podcast we've already had one recording with Dan Leahy he's excited to get that out there I think we're running about two months behind schedule from what I told him but Dan's a good guy that's going to be an interesting episode Uh, be sure to check that one out we've got a few more lined up and we're going to try to make this a regular thing but here we are it's 2022. Been a long time coming this season, but we're we're doing it on our own. Well, and things have been crazy. It's a crazy it's a crazy time did in the Montana start, land market. Did we start 2021 with season one or season two, episode one being what the hell happened in 2020? Yeah, I think we thought uh, we thought those were crazy times. Yeah. So let's start with what the hell happened in 2021, Andy. Well, I'm fond of saying that 2021 is going to go down in the history books in the Montana land market. I don't think we had seen anything like it until then, and I don't think we may see anything like it again in in our lifetimes. Of course, uh, we always say that. I guess right. We said that at the end of 2020, but uh, just. Uh, a blistering year in the Montana land market, no no denying it. Well, you're a data-driven appraiser. Correct. I'm in sales, so watch 2022 blow 21 out of the water. This thing is going to keep going up. Well, the big concern, though, is volume. Uh, there's just so little volume up there. We are, we are straight, starting to see that come around. Uh, we're up to a whopping 316 listings today in the Montana land market, but that's down from two years ago when it was 620. So this day, two years ago, we're about 50% of listings on the market in Montana. Correct. And is that causing uh, higher prices? You know, it is, but I think there's some resistance there. I think there's somewhat of a ceiling. I, You know, that's the... That's the classic uh, economic theory. Obviously, if you got high demand and low supply, you're going to have pr- uh, price pressure. 
but I think we've already been at a pretty high price point level. So, and you tell me what you're hearing from your, uh, the buyers you talk to and whatnot, but I think there's some resistance out there. Um, so I think that, that combination of resistance to uh, higher pricing and lack of inventory is kind of seizing up our market. Nothing cures high prices like high prices. I, I almost get the sense because I have some listings now that I would have never taken at these kinds of prices a year ago, two years ago, especially three years ago. But I put them out there with some very optimistic pricing. And I don't know if I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid or not, but I am optimistic that they're going to sell. They're going to fetch what we'd be comfortable with, which is, I mean, it's what we're comfortable with is 50% over what I would have quoted two years ago. Wow. And so I think we are going to see some higher prices. And I only say that because I've had these on the market a while now. It's been a slow winter. It's not fun showing uh, ranches in the winter. People don't like connecting flights out of Denver, Salt Lake, because you might you might get a snowstorm shutting you down and then you don't really see any pretty green grass and leaves showings are just poor in the winter schools are going people can't bring their kids um, but even my pictures are awful no green grass hero shots um, don't even break out the drone it's kind of windy in the winter so i have had some market response and i feel like these high prices buyers are becoming desensitized or normalized to it, that they just accept it. It's like a battered wife syndrome. Well, I think that is the often the advice to sell, uh, excuse me, to buyers. Um, if you want it, if the property's right and you want it, that's the price, uh, you know, take kind of take it or leave it. And demand is certainly still there from everything I'm seeing. Um, you know, there's every, every broker has got buyers in excess um, and doesn't have listings. And with, with my listings, it seems to be dollar per acre, dollar per animal unit, whatever the metric someone was using to more uh, closely identify a comp situation or relativity, that doesn't matter. It's, it's the whole price number. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the Montana land market has been a funky, highly imperfect market for a long, long time, and especially appraisers, but everybody in the industry, of course, is always trying to find metrics, find units of measure. I mean, you know, obviously dollars per acre has been around for a long time. Prior to dollars per acre, you know, I'm told no one used to talk about dollars per acre 50, 70 years ago. It was dollars per animal unit, you know, for ranches in Montana. But our market has blasted past any of the, well, certainly any of the income generating metrics. I mean, we're far outside of you know, pricing land for its potential to earn income through agriculture production. So, you know, we still try to hang on to those metrics, but they kind of fall away uh, increasingly over time. And, you know, I get these calls too. You know, I get calls from buyers. It's really interesting when you get a call from a buyer who has found the place, you know, the place works, they, they want the place, and, but they're, they're having heartburn over pricing. And, you know, what do you tell them? It's like, well, that's, that's the price. There's, not, there's no alternatives out there. Um, and even that pricing, like you said, battered wife syndrome might, might give everybody involved some heartburn in the sense that it's higher, you know, than anyone ever expected. But, you know, that maybe there are some comps actually 
to some extent justifying that price or you know other 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 properties going down so that's the market they don't like it they know it doesn't feel good the buyers uh they they can sense that something is wrong but it's what they know and there's no other alternatives there's nowhere else to go so i totally believe it's like the battered wife syndrome and and uh, sorry if someone takes offense to that joke out there. Um, we are no longer sponsored, so we cannot be canceled. And if uh, the employees at Apple and Spotify uh, are offended, I mean, they can sure deplatform us. But uh, we season three, we are far more unfiltered. So the the gloves are coming off and. Uh, We've let go of the reins, and uh, we're here to buck. Well, you know, I'm, I continue to be uh, bullish on the Montana land market. I mean, data shows consistently on the long run, you know, land is a, is a good investment. And what I tell people who are setting out to buy but a little uncomfortable maybe that they're, you know, buying high, I, I guess one way I look at it is worst-case scenario, you're prepaying some appreciation, for a, for a couple of years. I mean, if we're at a high now and if we're going to see some correction, um, but the reality is, especially if you're looking at a long-term hold, um, you're likely to do just fine. And it's, we've talked about this on this podcast before. It's just like the equities market. You know, you, you hear these things like there's never been a 10 year period in the history of the equities market that it hasn't made money. And my data shows that in the Montana land market, it's more like seven years. Uh, the worst case scenario, and of course, the last you know cycle down cycle we saw was 2008. So at worst, if you bought um, pre 2008 at the peak, you know it might have taken you seven years to heal. Yeah, and this idea of prepaying insurance or not insurance um, appreciation, prepaid insurance was a line item I wrote into a contract yesterday. But prepaying uh, appreciation. I think this market has filtered out the bottom feeders, the opportunistic guys who think that they're going to come in and make an offer 30% less than ask. The guys who three years ago called me, give me a deal. Find me a deal. Nope, we do not get those calls, thank God. It's filtered out the bullshit. And most of the buyers are long-term hold, uh, safe placement of capital, and they're coming with 1031s where they've sold out of a, if, if you think Montana has appreciated rapidly in the last two years, the guys who are coming in here are coming out of a market that has appreciated double of what Montana has done. Right, right. And of course, we see that in the housing market as well. You know, people coming to Montana and the markets they come from, you know, the, the housing market in small town, well, anywhere in Montana, but uh, especially I think small town Montana, you know, people just can't believe uh, prices they've never dreamed of they would see, but where these buyers are coming from. It, it's a, it's a deal. Yes, they they're where they're coming from. The, this type of appreciation, the values, it's just uh, we can't even fathom that in rural Montana. Yeah, you know we talked about this well going back even two seasons ago because, and I've gotten in trouble for this terminology. I've I've called it the COVID refugee. <laughs> the refugee people have taken offense at that because uh, refugees, there are there are legitimate refugees out there in the world right now that are not just uh, financial, uh, you know, wealthy, wealthy people. <laughs> but I don't know what else to call it because it, it, it just it, it speaks to kind of the the energy and the 
the pressure. Uh, these people coming to Montana when COVID first kicked up and then other issues, uh, social unrest in other parts of the country, man, they were, they were hot to trot. They needed to land in Montana yesterday kind of deal. So it did have a, a feeling of, of refugee. But if you remember when we talked about it back then, one of the speculations about that, though, is how solid those people were. If they're, uh, and remember, I think it was Jim Toth on our podcast that made this observation prior to 2020 when we've had market rushes in Montana. People were flocking to Montana. They wanted to be in Montana. But 2020, they tended to be running from somewhere else. So there's this idea that maybe it's a little less uh, authentic or a little less deep of a motivation. So there's been this idea, is there going to be a secondary wave or a lot of these people going to wash out with cold winters and hot summers and that kind of stuff? But I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, Yeah, there's a little bit of push. There's a little bit of pull. And I want to go back to uh, this idea of the refugees. You were quoted in the Billings Gazette, our biggest publication in this 500-mile region from Billings. Uh, and you got some trolls Some people came after you over that term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, you know, I guess it's the politically correct environment, insensitive calling, uh, again, wealthy, you know, wealthy white people, uh, fleeing, <laughs> fleeing to Montana to buy multi-million dollar property. We start season three. I, I just want to set the tone that I am uncancelable. You cannot shut me down. Coulter DeVries does not get canceled. Come at me. Try me, bro. Any, any trolls, please retweet this. Uh, send it to Jack Dorsey. Get me deplatformed on Twitter. Try it. Come after me because season three, uh, we're not holding anything back. <laughs> Typically more diplomatic, I would say, but I did get trouble for COVID refugee. I don't know what else. If there's another word out there that would be better, I'm open to it, but I haven't found it. Well, let's let's hear about your presentation to uh, the Montana and Wyoming brokers, appraisers, the big 2021 year-end summary where you were, uh, your reports, your data, your presentation led to this article in the Gazette. And uh, let's hear, summarize this for me. What, what, did we, what happened in 21? What the hell happened in 21? Well, and for folks that aren't aware, um, this presentation actually has been going on for over 20 years, 21 years, I think. It started with uh, Clark Wheeler at a, with, for, with Norman C. Wheeler and Associates out of Bozeman, who is my mentor. That's who I got started with. Uh, for 20 years at the beginning of the year, He's always done this presentation recapping the prior market, and it's been the has-to, must-attend event uh, on the Montana land market for, for over 20 years. In the last couple years, we've kind of expanded it, brought in a few more appraisers, uh, and, and made it a bigger event. It's, uh, it, we call it the Winter Real Estate Roundup, and it's uh, the opportunity for real estate professionals in Montana to get together, mostly brokers and appraisers, but others as well knock out our continuing ed, uh, network market, that kind of thing. And uh, it's the one time of the year where us, a couple of us appraisers really open up our, our database and whatnot and um, share more data and more information than any other time on the Montana land market. So that happened in February of 2022. And the video of that uh, is finally out, and that's available on my website, mtlandsource.com. It's a two-hour uh, presentation, like I said, with multiple um, appraisers, including myself. 
So yeah, again, you know, 2021 was just uh, a blistering year for certainly for price and um, volume. We just had never seen anything like it. And a lot of new dynamics in the market too. We've talked about this in the past. Prior to about 2020, uh, raw land was always much more in demand. Um, improvements tended to get hit hard in the marketplace. The, the common scenario that's been going on in Montana for decades now is because we've had you know out-of-state buyers and and you know that kind of thing going for a long time. And the classic scenario is buy the Montana dream property, you know, spend millions of dollars on improvements, get bored with it put it on the market a couple years later and then get shocked to find out you're going to get pennies on the dollar for those, those improvements. Uh, that was just kind of a, a phenomenon we saw for a long time, but that was turned on its head in 2020 because people needed a roof. They, and you know, you couldn't get builders. You couldn't get, of course we all know with the supply issues with it, um, you know, materials and that kind of stuff. So that was a big shift, um, actually. And we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that goes moving forward. Our market has obviously calmed down quite a bit in terms of volume. So seeing how that sorts out, whether people still want, because we still have the the labor and materials issue. So I would expect that to at least um, continue for a, a while longer. And then the other thing we saw an awful lot of was off-market transactions. And uh, we've got some uh, you know high-end brokerages actually kind of promoting and specializing in that Um you know, doing transactions that never hit the open market. And part of that is, you know, especially when you're in, I mean, we had a couple hundred million dollar plus transactions in Montana in 2021. You don't put those in the classifieds uh, of the Billings Gazette. (laughs) So, and it's, it's, this has caused a lot of consternation in the industry because with all these transactions not happening on the market, Appraisers not getting that information. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. A rise in NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Uh, you know, high net worth, particularly the ultra high net worth individuals, uh, value their privacy and whatnot. And Montana is a non-disclosure state, and these these uh, additional agreements in real estate have become commonplace, where they the broker has to sign uh, non-disclosure, so they can't share with share with the appraiser. So the question is, you know, how does that affect our market? We're already in a market that doesn't have much transparency and much price discovery. And for a, monk, for a market to function well, that's needed. So there's, there's always been this tension in the Montana land market between privacy and exclusivity and, and inside information that us appraisers typically get access to. But that was strained in 2021. So yeah, I, I like to tell people I'm not a broker of real estate, I'm a broker of information. In this non-disclosure state, especially with the amount of off-market transactions we've had, trying to dial in buyer motivations, uh, trying to dial in price, and then what do you do? Price per acre? Do you do price per mile of river? Uh, Elk tags? I mean, where? how are we going to take this secondhand information and try to normalize it? I have talked to some long standing, you know, senior appraisers in this state and they are, uh, I, I get the sense that 20, 2021 and just this market cycle we've been in has burned them out, uh, pretty deeply. They're having to work harder to, to get information and, uh, they're kind of over it. It is frustrating, you know, brokers there and there are, there's a vast range of quality and different kinds of brokers out there. And, you know, you just, said it that you recognize that information is part of what you do 
a lot of brokers don't give give a shit frankly they just do deals and move on and but then they need an appraisal you know they they don't share with us appraisers on the much regularly and then all of a sudden they need an appraisal to get a deal done and then they wonder why you know yeah, it does Every listing I get, I get rejected on four proposals because I try to take seriously where the market is at and what the reasons would be for a buyer buying that property at that price. And I, my proposals, I come with some options, some pricing options, um, listing price, days on market, commission price, um, maybe some other options such as Rofer, Life Estate, um, lease back. So I, I have a lot of uh, a lot of options and for the principal for the seller, but at the end of the day, it's it's my terms. I don't I don't go on the seller's terms, and I miss out on a lot because of that. But I'm not I'm not going to go out there and say, well, what do you want for this place? Let's list it at that. Right. I don't give a shit what you want for it. It's what the market can bear. Well, I just think it's really short-sighted that a lot of a lot of brokers, um, you know, don't share information with um, the top appraisers and the top industry professionals because that just help you know it helps everybody because everyone needs an appraisal sooner or later or certainly needs valuation information and advice and there's a lot of frustration out there that that's hard to do, expensive to do, but a lot of it is this this climate, this environment we're in of of no information, so it's a it's it's an interesting tension, um, and I don't know. You know, moving forward, will we continue to see that? I mean, for sure, the ultra wealthy are going to always be motivated by that. Um, they're always going to be interested in you know uh, uh, preserving their privacy. But I try to encourage brokers and also uh, buyers. And you know, uh, the fastest growing segment of my um, client base on Montana Land Source is buyers, is land buyers. Uh, it was really set up initially to be more of a tool for brokers, but it's a fabulous tool for buyers that want to do any of their own research. And so I'm interacting with those folks more often than ever. And I try to encourage them, um, you know, look, share and, you know, the system I think actually can work pretty well in Montana, uh, you know, sharing with the the top quality uh, brokers and appraisers, they're going to be careful with that information. They're going to be discreet. So, you know, there's a, there's a balance there that, that makes things work. But um, these guys that just want to keep everything private all the time. But I think part of it, too, and this this uh, ties into the, the whole refugee umbrella. And, again, refugee is a strained term when we're talking about ultra, ultra wealthy people. But with the ultra wealthy, the refuge aspect comes from protecting their wealth. That, uh, you know, a lot of what I heard going into 2021, 2020 and 2021 was a lot of fear, um, you know, of preserving their, that wealth and buying land in the West is, is part of that strategy. Especially during an inflationary period, these tangible, yep. These tangible assets that do produce a little bit of dividend covers, covers the expenses. You work closely with some of these guys and you know, it's, you know, it's popular to, uh, well, to hate on whoever you want to hate on, but some of these guys actually, uh, are great guys with great intentions and they actually want to move into neighborhoods in the West and be a good neighbor and that kind of stuff. And I think that's part of it too. They, you know, they don't exactly want it known in the neighborhood what their net worth is or, or even that they paid, you know, the, the, they broke the price barrier, 
on buying the place, you know, that in a neighborhood that they may well want to fit into. I mean, you know, some of these guys come in and put up fences and no trespassing signs and no hunting signs and build their castle oasis. And, but you know, I, I actually get the sense that that's happening a little less than it has in the past. I think you tell me if you have any insight on this, but some of the new buyer set actually values, uh, fitting in at least in some degree and being part of a neighborhood and that kind of stuff. That's part of what they're buying is, is inclusion and some kind of Western, you know, cultural mystique. All about the culture for sure. They want, they want to wear a vest and a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and they want to be accepted as a normal Wrangler wearing average Joe kind of guy who, if they come with any sort of humility, uh, they'll say, you know, I, I, can't really rope and ride and I'm not going to brand but I appreciate the lifestyle and yeah I would I would say they're not they're not coming in to bulldoze people yeah I I really feel like I saw a shift in this I mean remember I got my career started in the early 2000s in southwest Montana Bozeman and man you know we saw we saw the classic California you know show up raise the fences raise the drawbridge you know and and piss off their neighbors and you know just the whole shit show but I had some clients um, that were the the polar opposite, and you, you know, you got to realize Montana's kind of disparate. Rural Montana, you know, we got areas, of course, around areas like um, Big Sky and Bozeman and Western and Southwestern Montana, where it's 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 gotten bougie around the resorts and that kind of stuff. But we also have vast areas uh, that are basically economically drying up economically starving to death you know they're ag based purely you know don't have the sex appeal that kind of stuff so they're you know those areas struggle like a lot of rural america and then some of these wealthy guys come in and they get it you know and they're they're actually excited to uh hire locals and you know support the schools and support the local fire department and i've seen some guys really embrace that and i've seen a huge demand so uh headhunters and uh, placement manager staffing agencies have been calling me a lot lately. So there's, in the last two years, there's just been this huge demand for professional ranch managers, caretakers, landscaping, uh, everything that goes with buying a ranch of any size, say start at 320 acres with a large custom home, to going up to um, 12,000 acres with three homes on it. And the staffing agencies are, man, they're working like crazy. There's so much demand for managers, livestock managers, natural resource, caretakers, someone to mow the lawn, trim the trees. It's that is gone crazy in this area. And I think that's the future. I mean, I, you know, this we've been on this trajectory for a long time. That the owner operator, the economics of that are just, you know, more and more and more strained. Um, and it's, you know, it there's a lot of people you know, it doesn't, doesn't sound that great to sort of have a, some kind of a serfdom situation where, you know, only the uber wealthy own the asset and everybody else is kind of working class supporting that. But that's just the, the way it's going. The price point on land is just, is just what it is. Yeah, it be us versus them. I mean, both parties should be getting what they want. The caretaker should be getting a stable income that supports the modest lifestyle they they want to live in rural montana yeah and the owner should be getting what they want paying a reasonable rate 
for for outcomes, for quality of work, and for problem solving. Well, and we've talked on this podcast a lot about the separation between the working aspect of lands and the investment aspect of lands, and that that's been a, something that's been happening for a long time. You know, we're just we're just seeing that play it out. But the the income producing potential, the the ag or whatever it is, operation of the land being a separate entity than the land ownership because land ownership in and of itself is such an invest such a high yielding investment class that it it warrants its own consideration and we're you know you know this as well as anybody you know we're seeing more and more you know separate llcs or whatnot for the land ownership versus the 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 operation and the and the operation you know leases from the land ownership even if it's the same even if it's the same family or one individual yes and that's one thing as we adjust to what's happening as i mentioned i'm starting to throw in life estates three-year leasebacks on the home um, trying to get sellers into a delaware statutory trust a leaseback on the grass uh, right of first refusal there's there's a lot of options we have to start including now and because of the aging population they may want to capitalize on the land but they don't really want to leave so can you give them seven more years in the house can you give them five more years on the grass and uh, let's maintain that relationship. There's going to be generational management in place. Yeah. And this makes me feel like plugging some of our prior podcast episodes. I mean, we've not only got an infinite amount of, you know, management oriented uh, guests and podcasts, but even the NFTs talking about tokenizing, Ranch management, you know, because that that comes to my mind, too, as an as an option for locals and multi-generational ranch families and whatnot to potentially stay in ownership. But maybe having to partition that out, I guess, is what it comes down to is finding other ways to have outside investment, because um, it's just such a high valued investment class it's just going to be it's it's only going to be harder and harder for owner operators to um, stay in that game well i want to move away from the cultural aspect we can beat that we can kick that dead horse all day long uh so (laughs) let's talk about the 2021 year-end summary uh let's get some data and statistics for the nerds out there listening um the montana land market which Montana is extremely unique. Uh, I'm licensed in Colorado and Wyoming and Montana, and Colorado definitely is unique. It's got its Western uh, aspects, which are drastically different than the production ranches in the East, which Montana's kind of the same way. But even our production ranches in the East are are commanding a premium. Mm-hmm. We've kind of got this brand name going for Montana. Right. And our production ranches in the east also have uh, ponderosa pines. They also have live water, surface water, uh, good groundwater in some areas. They have elk. And um, when you look, if you did a comparison of listings, uh, I'm just going to reference one, three to six million, Mm -hmm. Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, it is insane the amount of options out there Montana has compared to Wyoming. Hmm. And and then of course Colorado, but Colorado is a whole other market when you get into the Telluride and that side of of the Rockies. But you, you can only get a condo for about that price, right? In Telluride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Montana. I mean, just comparing three to six million dollar uh, ranches, and then I normally make my filters sort highest acres to lowest. 
it, I mean, we are so unique and we are, um, something special. What happens here should be kind of a, a leading indicator of what's going on in the nation. So tell us, tell us about, uh, the statistics for all the nerds out there. What happened in 2021 prices go up, how much compared to 2020, 2019, how many listings, uh, went off market, um, how many listings took a price reduction? How many listings sold? I mean, summarize it for us. What what the hell happened? Okay, well, it's it's kind of hard to summarize in a lot of ways, but let's see. I'll, the first thing I think we'll say, I, and we talked about this, I think, a little earlier, a lot of inventory was picked off, I think, is actually what really happened in, in 2020. You know, one statistic that gave me heartburn for a while is uh, for a while – with the all indicators that this market was heating up, you know, uh, volume of transactions, pricing was all up, but days on market was growing as well, which just didn't fit the the storyline until I realized uh, what was actually happening was a lot of old listings were being picked off. You know, we have listings on the market today, you know, that have been on the market for 10 years in Montana. I mean, that's not that's the that's the extreme end, of course, but um, you know it's not that not that uncommon to have listings on the market for years and years. I mean, in normal market times, you know, uh, days on market uh, is a year plus. You know, in the ranch market, it can it can take. You know, we used to say that two. I think we used to say two or three years might take to market your ranch in Montana. Absolutely, <laughs> we, I tell people still. You know, I mean, you should still expect eighteen months and. It might take 24 months. Well, I can tell you today for for the sales that have happened in 2022 so far, and again we're looking we're we're recording this in late April 2022. The um, median days on market for stuff that has sold in 2022 has been 250 days, and uh, a year ago it was 500 days. So we've seen a tremendous. I think what that shows as much as anything is a tremendous cleanup, um, and you know. A lot. There, there, we have a pricing problem in Montana. We have a perception problem in Montana. Uh, a lot of sellers. Sellers are very strong in Montana. I think uh, throughout all these market cycles. That's my my opinion. We just see an awful lot of properties. You know, sellers put their. As you know, as a broker, uh, sellers tend to know what they think their place is worth, and they want to put it on the market that at that. And and if they sell, great. If they don't. Uh, you know, we're waiting for our price. Oh, they're so stubborn because most of them are generational. Yeah. Uh, they, they have inherited the ranch. Uh, they've put it together over 50 years. They're baby boomers, their entire net worth and wealth well, and, is wrapped up in it. And as frustrating as that might be to us in the industry, because it just doesn't seem like a market informed approach. On the other hand, you know, we tend to have, uh, an extremely hot market at least every 10 years or so in Montana. And so if, if you've got patience and, uh, you just want to throw your property out there, uh, you're likely to catch a market upswing at some point and, and get your price. I mean, that's the, well, and that's, I mean, that's what they will always say at the kitchen table too. When I'm sitting across from them is they'll cross their arms, lean back and say, I'm in no hurry to go anywhere. Yep. Yeah. So I think this market cleaned up a tremendous amount of that, uh, picked up a, a lot of older listings or, you know, got those listings moved on out. Um, and yet we saw a, a, a high increase in the, in the volume of sales. So 
number of sale, you know, before 2021, you know, I'd say our average, well, it was kind of increasing through uh, the 2000 and teens, you know, it used to kind of hover around 200 uh, sales a year. 2019 was 230. 2020 was 290. 2021 was 415. So we had double volume, really, I guess you could say, from, from previous average. I think it would, it would be safe to say we had a running average of about 200 properties a year, and we busted 415 in 2021. That we so, know of. That we know of. Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's an important point because I mean Montana Land Source, I'm uh, as good as anybody at tracking um, what's out there. My data focuses predominantly on publicly listed, pub, you know, available properties. I certainly get a lot of off market transactions and stuff like that too, but uh, I really focus on the on you know what's on the open market. So we saw a huge you know, boost in the number of properties marketed and, and sold in 2021. So huge, huge volume volume. And that's kind of cleared it out. And, uh, now we're back, like we already talked about, we're down to 300 properties on the, on the market today where we would usually have about 600. And one of the big issues there that we keep hearing over and over is lack of replacement part property, a, a, a vast, I would tell me if you feel otherwise, but the majority of sellers probably want to roll into other land Um, that's very common absolutely and and a home if they're gonna if they're gonna create this wealth rapid wealth they do want to get their wife a nicer house closer to town closer to medical facilities grandkids schools Um, they would like some small acreage kind of elbow room hobby farm it's hard to get a farmer or a rancher to 1031 into a commercial property for mailbox money so yeah, and what I've been having to do is try to um, educate them on Delaware statutory trusts. And with that, depending on the buyer's taste, what the buyer's motivations are, if I can get them into a DST, the seller, for 5% annual yield, that's 5x what they're making on their land for annual yield. Um, it's passive income, professionally managed, and they get to stay in the house a while. So it is the the conversation I'm trying to steer away from. Yeah, I like today's values. I like today's prices, but I have nowhere to go. Nothing to do with my money. Right. Well, it's it's fascinating how few farm and ranch want to take that approach you just outlined, even though it makes so much sense on paper. But you know, it's basically giving up what they what they know and like mailbox money as yeah, a, their identity. Yeah, and yeah. mailbox money as appealing as that sounds, it's not that appealing to most guys that have worked their whole life. You know, in a funny way, right? It's like they're giving up their gender identity. Right. <laughs> do you identify as a producer? Do you, it's like asking to identify as a passive income, uh, you know, basically I identify as a freeloader. I think. Are you business fluid? <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's a dark hole. We gotta, we gotta pull up. Come get me Spotify. <laughs> but yeah. And it's funny. I talked to a broker that uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that he's got a couple ranches. He says possibly coming on the market soon. And I wanted to get some more details on that. And in, in all cases, the operators were fully retiring, um, not looking to roll into new land. And that's why they're willing and interested to get into this market. But that seems to be the big holdup is there's no replacement part property. A lot of, um, you know, people just not wanting to be in the market in that context. And I've talked about this, uh, a bit recently too. I've had conversations, I've had sellers call me who have made it through this last cycle without selling. 
And so they're calling me up to find out what's going on. They, 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 they know they've been through the hottest market. They haven't sold. Funny thing is they typically want to talk about everything except pricing <laughs> with me about why they haven't sold. And some of the, uh, properties that have left the market I've got confirmed uh it's almost like they're just mad and frustrated that uh, well no one came to look at my property the hell with it I'm pulling off the market reality hurts yeah which is kind of ironic said you were a seller you were motivated enough to put your property on the market but you didn't get what you you know what you liked and so when you have to face the actual facts that that are conflicting with your paradigm means you have to address the reality and that they don't want to do that. Yeah. It's like I was going around trying to drum up some listings in some sagebrush country, um, had a guy interested. And so I went knocking on doors and I was, I was the old solicitor from the, uh, from the ages where agency was created in England. You go around, you, you work for a Lord and you go around soliciting properties and, uh, you're truly an agent. But, uh, so I was doing that and, I would go to these people and I'd tell them I can get you 750 bucks an acre. And they'd say, ah, gosh, you know, I'd be interested at 850 an acre. I could probably do 850, but let's price it at a thousand. <laughs> and I'm like, I just quoted you a f- price 50% over what it was three years ago for a place that nobody wants. Nobody wants your sagebrush. And I just gave you a 50% premium. I didn't come here to start low, you start high, and meet somewhere in the middle. I'm giving you my first and best offer. Yeah. Well, it, it And final offer. It fascinates me because, especially with farmers and ranchers who are, you know, incredibly savvy about markets in general, their, their markets, their commodity markets, but you start talking about land and all the rules go right out the window. Uh, yeah. Where the hell are you getting your information from? What, what makes you think that you can get 850 an acre? And what makes you think if you start out a thousand, someone's going to want to dicker with you over 25%. Yeah. It's amazing. So this date in 2021, we have seen, we had seen 104 new listings on the market today, 2022, we're at 57 new listings on the market. So we're down 80% in new listings from, from a year ago, but get this, uh, the median, the median list price per acre, this date in 2021, a year ago was 1650 an acre. We're at $2,500 an acre. So, and I saw this, you know, this is interesting, um, and I need to spend more time with this data. Leading up to the 2008 crash, I saw a distinct uh, disparity between list price and sale price. We saw list prices going higher, 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 and sale prices not quite following. And I think that can be a little bit of a bellwether of of market turn. Um, So... We'll watch that with interest. And then this is the uh, shocking one. I actually have so far of uh, the sales. So there's been a, a year ago, 2021 year to date, there was 118 sales already in 2021. We're at 78 uh, in 2022. So we're down 50% there. And price per acre of what has sold is down um, from 2021. Now, I think you got to be careful with that number. That's not to say that there aren't prices rising on certain properties. So it's interesting looking at, because, uh, you know, I'm looking at the entire state, which is vast and broad and mu- very many sub-markets and whatnot. But on the whole, on on median, 
uh, prices are down in 2021, uh, sorry, 2022. So I think that shows uh, not all price, not all land categories uh, necessarily are on the rise. I think some of that is recognition of overpricing in certain categories. So it's, it's really tough to say because again, you know, I think the, the truly top properties, and we, we see this all the time, no matter what the market cycle is, top properties always perform well. Um, and so if you kind of segregate them out, um, even in, even when we've had times of crash, those properties have done pretty well. Good ranches sell good, good ranches shit sell. ranches sell shit. Yeah. But you know, one thing we really see in the hot, hot times is the bottom gets pulled up. You know, the C, the CD properties start seeing AB pricing. And this ties into what you just talked about, like vast mis- misconceptions about land value. You know, the guy that has his sagebrush kind of, you know, gnarly ground thinks he's on a gold mine and he's not wrong in the sense that there was, you know, some, some exuberance in the market and some of that stuff did get sold. But the funny thing even about that culture is, uh, if you really roll up your sleeves on it, you know, the number of properties that were kind of crap that did well is actually pretty limited, but those are the stories that get broadcast. Those are the stories that get trumpeted and these guys think that what they've got is just worth gold and you know it it, and i i should put together some um content on on mtlandsource.com about this i mean and again i told you i've gotten some calls from some sellers that are frustrated and you know i asked them how many showings did they get in 2020 well two you know, there you go. It's like, you know, some, <laughs> something is wrong. So, you know, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, uh, see class neighborhoods, but you know, but people want to come up with all kinds of different reasons. Oh, well, I'm not sure my broker was that, yeah. you know, and it's blame somebody else. Yeah. And you know, I don't look at the problem. Right. Right. So they, they think that this high tide that's floating all boats, which has risen their boat. They think that it should also put theirs up on the crest of the wave to yeah. ride with everyone else. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, when you go to, sh- when you go to tell somebody their ranch isn't worth what it's worth, it's like you're telling them their firstborn is ugly and, and, uh, sub subpar intelligence, yeah. and, you know, they're in fear. They're lacking. Yeah. Personally, um, you know, the, the most consistent stat, which is kind of interesting is the number of expired and withdrawn listings that has stayed remarkably consistent it's a little bit down, but, um, we see, you know, this time of year we see 40, three years ago, it was more like 50, but today it's 42 properties, uh, taken off the market. And it's just, it's interesting. Uh, you know, again, uh, th- the hot market market cycle we've been through, you still see people pulling their properties off the, off the market, you know, and that's, that's a unique number that only Montana land source has because only Montana land source tracks listings to the extent we do, you know, other appraisers and, and whatnot, you know, tend to focus on sales. And, um, you know, prior to, well, back to about 2019, yeah, 2018 and 2019, I think were the years, um, where I was, uh, intrigued and, and sort of interested in sharing this information that those years, more properties were actually leaving the market than selling. And that was completely, I mean, brokers, some brokers kind of knew that just, you know, anecdotally through their own experience or whatnot, but that was the kind of data that had never seen the light of day. And, and you know, and, and those were not, you know, the, those times have been eclipsed by the market we're in now, but those were not, um, 
down times in the Montana land market by any by any stretch. You know, they were they were productive years as well, and more properties were actually leaving the market than selling. Um, just you know, un, unknown information out there that not that that that, that doesn't get to the kitchen table uh, for the rancher that thinks is lots of misinformation yeah. and more during these buzz times. The the tulip frenzy creates uh, an abundance of misinformation. Yeah, and you know it's it's hard to witness because and we we talked about this when we were talking about culture. You know these these assets are typically people's the largest asset they they'll ever have or manage in their life and you know the the risk of making poor decisions with poor information or whatnot is 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 pretty high i mean i guess the default of holding on to your place there could be worse decisions than that but we've we've seen um you know certainly post 2008 you know I mean, I can remember people that ended up selling half of, you know, they turned, they turned away offers a year prior and then a year or two later had to sell for half of what they turned away. And not that common because we've talked about the strength. Um, they just hold on with their, by their fingernails, you know? Um, well, we're all waiting for that, that time to come back around where we could uh, get a property bought for half of asking price. And I get this call a lot now with, Fed interest rates rising and and some shakiness in the Dow and the equities markets and do you see any changes here since we're we're the first quarter in we are April fifteenth tax day don't pay your taxes <laughs> <laughs> there we go we just got canceled <laughs> I, I'm a Western libertarian so don't pay your taxes but uh, and vote early and vote often <laughs> <laughs> get involved yep um, so we're a quarter in. And granted, we're coming out of the winter, which sucks for showings for a plethora of reasons. But right. um, are there any any fundamentals, any leading indicators, any drivers, your covariance correlation that you've yet to produce for me? <laughs> um, is there any softening? Yeah, I I think this market is going to. I just think it's going to see it. It has been seizing. I mean, the volume is you know a fraction of what it was, and I just. I just don't really see a way out of that maybe throughout the whole rest of the year. I just think we're going to see a volume trough. I think, I do think we're going to see price pressure up. But like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I just, I get the sense that we've kind of hit somewhat of a limit there. I just don't think there's a lot of room or a lot of tolerance for higher pricing. That's not to say that I don't think some individual properties will, will sell well and sell high and we'll see that inch up. But and maybe I'm I'm wrong about that. There's I I do know there's others that disagree with this that think that you know we haven't seen anything yet and that we're just going to see uh, prices skyrocket. But I don't know. I just feel like there's some we've we've hit some resistance there. Um, but I think volume wise, we're just going to be kind of seized up a little bit. And we've talked about buyers. I mean, I just get the sense that the emotionality of the you know the the covid phenomenon had some emotionality to it had some um, urgency to it had some desperation to it that seems to be gone you know there's still demand um there's still people out there interested but i get the sense that you know they've 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 either been through this market and haven't found what they wanted yet or they're late coming to it uh for whatever reason but uh they just seem to be more measured uh, more and looking for what they really want you know they're not just get me some, get me, get her done, you know, somehow get me, get me out there. They're, they're really looking for what they want. They're kicking the tires. And so to me, it all feels and smells like just kind of a slow, 
slow down, readjust um, scenario. So that's what I see for this year is just uh, you know lower volume. I don't I don't see any major factors uh you know potentially crashing the market although that said you know i think it always needs to be reminded we're we're very tied to the national and hell maybe even international economy at this point so national uh things play big in montana it's not a it's not a localized market so obviously you know big uh national level economic but you know that can cut different ways um you know the 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 national market can crash, but that all, even though that tends to seize us up as well, I mean, just, you know, create a lot of uncertainty and, and people just aren't making moves. It also can push people to those uh, tangible investments. So we kind of see, see things on both sides there. My crystal ball here, April 15th is, is I'm forecasting, look for a lot more activity in the class C market. So Northeast Montana, Garfield County, Petroleum County, some of your more quote unquote air quotes production driven ranches because we've had two years of extreme drought in the West, two years of extreme locust and grasshopper. And now, just this week, between Billings and Billings, Montana, and Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, there was anywhere from a foot and a half to three feet of snow, 40 mile an hour to 70 mile an hour winds. There's 15 foot snow drifts in North Dakota right right now, which I don't know how snow or where it drifts in North Dakota, because if your dog runs away, you can watch it run away for three days. But but it, it's happening, and this, <clears throat> this is a serious time that um, is going to be very painful. There's going to be at least 50,000 dead calves probably another i mean in a three-state region montana north dakota south dakota i think even minnesota got this big storm so four-state region um there's going to be fifty thousand dead calves probably another ten thousand dead uh yearlings heifers um it's tough times and these are producers who just came out of very high winter feed costs 500 bucks a ton delivered in to some areas i mean you just gave up uh a year of profitability when you did that. So I think the local class C areas, you're going to, you might see a well-heeled per se generational family with a lot of equity, call it like a 500 head ranch in in Western South Dakota, they might be hurting so bad they go out and I'm, and then, I mean, you can extrapolate this scenario how you want farmers, ranchers, whatever, but they might go out to a Plentywood, Montana, and buy a big, uh, big cropping operation just to graze it, just to take some hay and uh, grass. So, I would say look to Class C. Um, we and we've seen no local influence in the markets in the last two years. Um, local presence of buyers, no ranchers buying neighbors, no ranches expanding, um, no ranches coming from from South Dakota to Montana, vice versa. I think that's going to change. I think mm-hmm. we are going to see that take off a little bit. Just taking opportunity, taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, more out of needs. Yeah. More out of it. It hurts so bad. We are going to borrow the money. We are going to pay appreciated rates to keep this ranch going, to keep our genetics, our herd together. Um, well, I wonder if there will be opportunity, like I said earlier, a broker telling me have, has a couple ranches coming on the market and they're just the sellers, the clients are just done They're, 
and you just outlined, you know, some of the, some of the factors involved. They're just, they're feeling wiped out and, you know, the heck with. Well, and that's another issue is, I mean, as these guys approach 70, these families and whether they have kids on the place or not, kids that don't want to come back, whatever the scenario is, um, calving in this hurts at 70 right and and not producing a profit that hurts at 70 you know i haven't heard this talk much lately because the last couple years drought aside has actually been i think relatively okay well until maybe the last you tell me maybe six months or so but you know for the last couple years hasn't been necessarily that bad of prices and whatnot but at, at tough times especially at the end of the year this seemed to be a common refrain You'd hear from the the ag community, oh boy, you know, end of year there's going to be people cut loose. You know, people that just the, the banker the bankers are going to have to cut loose uh, some of these operators. And you know, I, I feel like so many years I've heard that, and then I watch carefully, and never happens. And it it goes to the strength again of the landowners in Montana. I just think they're incredibly strong. And I actually did have a conversation with a bank, an ag banker, about this, and he said, "Man, you would not believe how." hard we work not to pull the plug on, you know, that just a different era, you know, and the, and people talk about the eighties, you know, clearing that out, that that lesson was learned hard then. And, um, people aren't leveraged like they used to, but anyway, I hear over the years often during hard times, oh boy, you know, we're going to, we're going to see a flush of properties on the market because operators are going to, you know, call it quits or be, be pushed out. But from my perspective, it's incredibly rare that we see any of that, no matter yeah, how tough it gets. I don't think we'll see an 80s farm crisis again where people are committing suicide and there's just a flood of properties on the market, bankruptcy sales, desperation sales. I mean, there's producers have a lot of options today. Lenders, are, local lenders especially, are not going to foreclose on them. Um, they have Farmer Mac, FSA. Uh, there's a new subsidy every six months, a COVID bailout, a drought bailout. Uh, there'll probably be a some sort of there'll probably be some sort of uh, snow bailout from this storm. So there's a safety nets in place where we won't see that type of flood of supply coming on the market. What's your crystal ball show even, you know, further down the line? I mean, you know, of course there's talk of inflation, uh, talk of rates. Um, and, you know, of course, just to remind people, you know, very rarely is Mon land in Montana bought with financing, but we also saw r reportedly a rise in this in the last kind of market cycle. A lot of buyers not using financing to buy their property, but shortly thereafter, uh, you know, leveraging that. And, you know, when you could borrow against a property at 3%, when you can get money at 3%. To do something Absolutely. Cash out some equity, put it into a 5% dividend when yeah. you're borrowing at three. Yeah. Um, in the long term, I mean, inflation is good for land values. Mm -hmm. So we've got, we've got that upward pressure going. Um, we have a shit ton of dry powder, uh, M2 money supply that you're not tracking for me. Uh, so I just, and like I said, these people are looking at ranches based on some value. Um, SUM, that, that is SUM value. Uh, if it's 7 million, like my listing in Red Lodge right now, they, it doesn't matter what it is per acre per animal unit. If they have 7 million and they like it, 
that's the property for them. Well, and to your point, I mean, I just, this just gets reinforced for me year after year after year, how much money is out there, how much wealth is out there. You know, I think we in Montana, or I'll speak personally for myself, I mean, the lead up to 2008, uh, well, and then even the recovery from 2008, because as we all well know, um, you know, wealth did well, wealth did just fine, you know, in the, in the crash of 2008. So it's just, it's phenomenal how much money there is out there, uh, floating around. And so the, and that wealth, you know, is attracted to land in Montana for various reasons. So, um, I don't see that demand, um, going anywhere. And to your point, um, and when you look at what a lot of those people, you know, particularly from out of state, what they're comparing that buying power with, I mean, what you can buy in Montana, what seems outrageous to us based on historic pricing compared to real estate in other areas or even, I mean, you know, it's crazy. You know, we think a $100 million ranch is unbelievable. You know, there are yachts that are worth three hundred, four hundred so, billion or what? You know, you're gonna no, t- not billion, but million. Yeah, you're gonna tell me you can buy, you know, knocking on a hundred thousand acres in Montana versus a boat. I'd rather maintain a ranch than a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to know how much wealth? I'm pulling up the the Fred dot uh, org, the St. Louis Fed. Uh, M2 money supply, which is your, your liquid cash, uh, semi-liquid, your savings deposits, small denomination, time deposits. And just how much cash is in the economy as of March 22nd, 2022, their last reporting, nearly $22 trillion. So there, there's your tax dollars at work for COVID bailout. Uh, it has gone into financial instruments. It's created cash. It is just, it's created inflation, $22 trillion of idle money. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, you know, and ranch, you know, land ownership in Montana can be complex, can be expensive if you're not careful. But on the other hand, you know, you can park a lot of money in land in Montana. You can, you know, the amenities, the, you know, the hunting, the fishing, the open space, the seclusion, the you know, all that. Um, I mean, you know, that's what we really saw drive the market in the 2000s was like, you know, God, you could buy land in Montana, do better than uh, the equities market, than the stock market, and you get to play rancher. You know, you get to have a freaking ranch, bring your family out and all that kind of stuff. Of course, we've seen, you know, where the rubber meets the road on that. And, you know, we also saw some people, if you're not careful, invest in an uh, asset that takes an awful lot of money to to maintain. You gotta you gotta play that game carefully. And and you know we focused on that a fair amount on this podcast with the people we've had in, uh, you know, talking about management and, and that kind of stuff. But if you're careful um, and don't set yourself up with a bleeding uh, expense sheet, you know, for for maintaining a play. Well, and, and when you buy into a generationally old area, which most ranches are, I mean, you're we're rather the, I mean, the exception being like Aspen and Telluride and Big Sky, Bozeman, Jackson, all that shit. But when you buy into Western ranches, Utah, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, whatever, um, 
the neighbors are going to say, what a, what a fool, what a terrible investment. You spent so much money, um, you, you make nothing on it for, they don't say annual yield, but uh, that's their perspective. I believe what a great investment because, number one, you do get a dividend. You get an annual yield that exceeds your carrying costs, your management, Hopefully. taxes, insurance. Yeah, yeah it, sh- it should. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason it shouldn't. It should and then wash get, its face. Yep. And then you get appreciation that is not correlated to the stock market. So it has a zero beta appreciation. Historically, that's going to be anywhere from 6 to 8% annually. Depending on the neighborhood you're buying into, Class A versus B and C, and then number three is the intangibles, the quality of life. You, your investment is actually enjoyable and rewarding. Right, right, yeah. So that's it, that formula. All those factors still still are at play, and even at the pricing points we're seeing now, which are historically high, um, you know, likelihood. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast. If you're if you're really high, and if we're going to see some kind of a correction, you've you've probably just kind of prepaid a, a couple of years of that of that appreciation curve, right? You might. And there ain't nothing wrong with that when when you're going to be there for at least ten years. Your your data shows a hold period of seven, at worst. Well, I mean, but the average uh, buyer is now up to twenty, aren't they? Yeah, it depends on how you break it. I I don't have as good of data on that as I was. Resale data. Yeah, it's you know what's funny, it kind of seems like uh, individual properties cut different ways. We see these properties that hit the market. Uh, It's funny they'll be in a generational ownership for you know forever, never been on the market, hit the market, and sometimes those properties seem to be now on a five year churn. They just five seven years, they're just back on the market. But the big guys, though, especially, um, you know, we tend to call that legacy, legacy ranch investment, legacy ranches. Those guys all make claim to to be long-term hold, you know, like the Ted Turners, for example, right? Bought 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was, and, you know still still in that family ownership so well that that attrition is great for us sleazy ranch brokers as, <laughs> as my dad likes to say i only get to sell it once you get to sell it two or three times right right <laughs> yeah it's funny like i said it seems like certain properties just hit that churn and there they go they're just on the market every you know every few couple of years and some of those buyers do claim oh i'm going to keep this place forever blah 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 but you know the wife gets tired of the of the commute. I mean, you, you talked, we talked about the amenities, but you know, there's also the issues of access and getting there. And that, and obviously that's in some ways why properties closer to town, like especially towns like Bozeman and, you know, Missoula and whatnot, you know, you can fly in easily versus a three hour bumpy windswept, you know, for sure. So as we're approaching the end of this, uh, season three, episode one, the introduction, uh, unfiltered. <laughs> the gloves have come off. I will not be deplatformed. <laughs> but as we wrap this up, um, what can you what can you summarize uh, twenty one in one paragraph? Oh, like I've just been saying, just record record breaking in almost all regards. And I just I just don't think. Well, you, you challenged me on this. You know, hold on for two thousand twenty two. I just don't think we're going to see. It's equal, I, I, and it's mostly the volume situation. I just don't think we're going to see nearly as many transactions. Doesn't mean that the uh, you know market's dead or that we might not even see overall price appreciation, but 
we're just not going to see the volume, I don't think. So I think the deals are going to be a little harder to come by. Uh, you know, in some ways, as a market observer and an appraiser, you know, I'm always happy to see um, the fundamentals uh, kick in and apply. So in some ways, it's it doesn't bring me any heartburn to see things um, settle down a little bit and and correct. But uh, it it we're still in a very dynamic uh, environment, though I think it, it, it remains yet to be seen. But my prediction is we're not going to see the likes of 2021, maybe in our lifetime. Well, fundamentals are great for markets, and, and uh, your efficient market hypothesis is also great for healthy functioning markets. But it's pretty fun to be involved in, in a frenzy, in an emotional, irrational nonsensical driven market yeah, if you're sell- it's fun if you're selling stuff it's fun if you're trying to appraise it it's not <laughs> <laughs> so let's just uh, let's enjoy this while it lasts i i mean it can't uh we know this is cyclical and uh, the appreciation rates we've seen in the last two years that is not sustainable but Let's have fun. This is a, don't try to understand it. Just try to enjoy (laughs) Enjoy the the ride. ride. Well, I need to do a plug for Montana Land Source, mtlandsource.com. I've got a lot of the stats we've been talking about in the video I mentioned about the summary of 2021. That video is on my site as well. And we have, we have free subscriptions, which entitle you to the weekly Montana land report goes out every week and highlights changes in the market and what's going on. So it's the, by far the best resource to stay informed on the Montana land market. And I am completely independent of Montana Land Source, so any grievances you have, send them my way. Um, we are Andy and I have no contracts or affiliations at all. Uh, he's just he's just good content. I'm good looking, so we came together with with this podcast and brains and beauty. <laughs> um, please do uh, feedback is so important to me. Uh, I was in. The, I was in San Antonio for the National Land Conference with the Realtor Land Institute, and I was blown away, humbled, and uh, just so proud of the amount of positive feedback I received directly from brokers and agents in Texas, Florida, Oklahoma. Um, you guys are awesome. I will get you a plug here pretty soon, but uh, when you're up in Montana, uh, stop in. We'd love to do an episode. So any other brokers, appraisers, uh, managers across the nation, when you're in Billings, coming to Montana this summer, 2022, uh, reach out ahead of time and let's schedule a recording. We love the feedback from our listeners and the participation. It's all about the community for us. Yeah, we want to hear about who you guys, what you guys would like to hear about and, and who you might like to hear about. And again, I'll plug our prior episodes. I think some podcasts, you know, record and their the content's kind of uh, obsolete and, and you, you, they just move forward into new, fresh content. But I look back and I think our content and who we've had, you know, we, we've really had the who's who of uh, Western land markets on our, on our podcast and we'll continue to do so. So feel free to peruse our prior, prior episodes as well. We've got great content. And yeah, let us know what you'd like to hear moving forward. Thank you, everyone. All right. See you at the next episode. See ya. As a real estate and finance professional, we know that you want to be a top producer and high performer. In order to do that, you need to grow your portfolio, grow your influence. The problem is rural real estate is a private and closed-off network that is very difficult to enter and gain acceptance within. It's a nuanced segment that requires years of experience. This may make you feel frustrated, 
or even scared given the high costs of getting established. We get it. But in the age of information, we believe you already have inexpensive access to knowledge and resources that would improve your competency. We understand that you feel as though you don't have time for continuing education or that you'll worry that you're wasting your time on redundant and obsolete information. For this reason, we feature only the best accredited and established rural real estate professionals who analyze, transact, and manage billions of dollars annually. No newbies here. Your goal is to efficiently improve your business and be viewed as a trusted advisor. So here's how we can do that together. One, starting right now, make a simple commitment to self-improvement. Two, be sure to make it easy, convenient, and attainable. Rigidity rarely works in the long run for transformation. Three, make your structure of self-improvement entertaining and engaging. If it's fun and intriguing, you'll have a better shot at making it last. With that in mind, click subscribe on your streaming platform so you know when the latest episode has dropped. Then go to ranchinvestor.com slash podcast and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. We also have a private Facebook group simply called Ranch Investor. And this is where we can best interact with you by answering your questions and taking your recommendations. Most exciting though, is being able to follow us on YouTube by clicking the subscribe button. In the meantime, keep a notepad and pen handy. You'll undoubtedly be thinking of clients and peers in mind as you listen. Go ahead and text or email them a link to this episode for your constant contact, CRM, and your goals of being a center of influence, the expert in your field. Stick with it, and soon you'll stop waiting for the phone to ring with new business be the source of knowledge and the maven that other professionals are excited to refer.